Welcome to MLOps Live, a podcast by Neptune AI. We host in-depth discussions where machine learning practitioners answer questions from other practitioners about one subject related to production machine learning and MLOps. Tune in to get real-life stories, dirty hacks, and pragmatic workarounds from ML people in the trenches. All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of MLOps Live, where we get to talk to guests and practitioners doing incredible stuff in ML. And you ask questions and they answer them. I'm your host for this particular episode, Stephen Oladele, without my co-host for today, Sabine, we should be back for the next episodes. So in this particular episode, I'm excited to introduce Shisha Ray, who is the director of engineering at Thomas Reuters Labs. She's done really amazing work in, and as well as here to also talk to us about the insight our team sort of leverages with intersecting DevOps principles and practices and technologies for deploying ML products. So we're really excited about that. Shisha, did I miss anything? Because I know you have some extensive background with uh, engineering. So maybe you could tell us more about that. I think you're good, Stephen. But yeah, I mean, I think the focus has been in going all strong on AI and ML solutions going live. But in the past, I think this was pretty much software delivery and it's software engineering aspects. It's, yeah, I, perfect. I, I think not much has changed that way. <laughs> perfect, perfect. We're going to be deep diving into most of these concepts today. So before we go on, a few housekeeping rules. So if you're joining us on LinkedIn or YouTube or any other external platform, please ensure that you send in your questions and comments. We'll definitely find a way to get them to share during the episode. And of course, if you're joining us here on Zoom, you could ask your questions in the chat or if you want to ask them live, of course, you can raise your hands and we'll definitely bring you on the platform to ask your question. So thank you so much once again. So I think we can jump right into the particular episode. Thank you so much again, Shisha, for joining us for this particular episode on intersecting DevOps and like MLOps practices and everything. It's quite an interesting topic and the controversial one as well. So quite a lot of questions will be directed in that episode. So before we go on, in one minute, can you please explain how DevOps intersects with MLOps? Because we are an MLOps audience right here and we want to just know how those guys in the DevOps, how the principles and practices there intersect with what we do here in MLOps. Yeah. Sure, Stephen. I mean, I know we said that this was a controversial topic, but this is also one where the definition is not out there, right? So MLOps means different things for different people, given their backgrounds, given their exposure, given what they perceive as a scope of ML and operations of the same, right? And different people are attacking the same with many different dimensions, right? However, if you ask me what my take on whole MLOps is and where it intersects with DevOps, I would say with ML going more and more standardized, with the way we deliver solutions which have ML embedded in them, is more and more commoditized, I would say. So there are standards and best practices in this place even. There's tooling, there's standard platforms and technologies. So I would say the whole concept of DevOps that we had with software deliveries, that's pretty much the same that should apply to the way right. we deliver solutions with ML in it. Right. That's a little bit over. One minute. We'll take it. <laughs> we'll take it. That, that, that's awesome. And the start of the particular episode, you spoke about the fact that you are currently the director of engineering at Thomas Reuters Labs. And of course, uh, quite a lot of ML happens there as well. So what's the team set about TR Labs currently? And what sort of ML products do you 
sort of deploy? Because just to give us context for the rest of the episode. Sure, sure, Stephen. So at TR, TR is a content company, as you may have already seen on the internet. So at TR, we are responsible, we as in the Thomson Reuters Labs, TR Labs, we are responsible for working on state-of-the-art AI solutions. So they get researched. And then once the feasibility of what is possible with that solution has been discovered, we pretty much work as an engineering team to take that solution and refine it, refactor it, package it such that it can function within a software delivery. Right. And then this could be like a platform which is internally used. It could be systems which the different teams in the organization need to use. It could be products which we package out, or it could even be efficiency based solutions. Right. So let's say editorial tooling, it could be something that we are summarizing, things like that. So I would say we use, we work on AI, which gets into different aspects of the company's work that happens, including the product that we sell. Yeah, and it's an interesting space because quite a lot of things are happening in the generative AI space, which is like a, a lot more content-based than, than other use cases. So it's exciting to see that area of, uh, of use cases being explored. I must add what's even more exciting, Stephen. Yes, it is. Generative AI is interesting. And the fact that we get to work with content is interesting. But what's even more interesting personally for me is the fact that TR, Thomson Reuters, is not a new company. It's not a greenfield company where you get to do things from scratch. So there are legacy ecosystems. There are you know established processes and workflows. So imagine having to turn all of that around incorporating AI in bits. So, so the challenge is hence that much bigger. And that makes it a right. lot more interesting as well. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And let's dig a bit more into some of these sort of interesting challenges that just related to the topic of the podcast or the episode a bit. Could you explain what the sort of the ML workflow is at TRL Labs? Uh, maybe the life cycle, how you go about from exploration, requirements gathering and stuff to deploying the models to and in the same context as well, how does DevOps play a role in that workflow that you, yeah? Yeah, I wish I could answer that last question first, but let me start in the right order, right? So here's how it plays, right? So we have different parts of the organization which have the ML needs, right? So there are, let's say, AI champions who identify perhaps we could leverage AI. Is it even possible? For example, the cybersecurity team most recently reached out to us and is there something that we could use leverage advanced AI concepts to do some bit of threat detection? Is it even feasible? So that way of capturing problem statements, that's that way of then working with those that part of the organization, those systems and their subject matter experts to identify what is the sort of data that we have and could we even leverage it to complete that problem statement for them, right? So there's that whole feasibility study which needs to happen. And subsequently, once we've discovered, yes, this is possible, this is a solution that labs will work on, we then take it on to go through the whole research process of identifying what model, what accuracies are going to look fine. We also have design folks, UX folks in our team who work with those subject matter experts and the consumers of that solution to identify how do we want to build the solution, right? So once that phase completes, the engineering team, the architects get together to work again, with the tech teams that support that part of the organization to identify what sort of a solution do we want to design? 
How will this be consumed? Is this like a service? Is this a Docker image which will be deployed? How is it going to scale? What sort of load? There are various uh, you know, requirements that come into play here. The sort of latencies and KPIs that we want to play to. Then it becomes like your standard software project. You design it, you implement it, and you run it like a usual agile project, right? And therein lies the whole DevOps of it. So as we look at completing this delivery, making it go live, we apply, we only do it using DevOps methodologies. Here at a small caveat, right? So sometimes there are examples of projects which come to us, which probably are like a prototype. We just want to check, is it even feasible to do this? And so in those cases, we may not go the whole run, but then our standard deliveries into platforms and tools and products, we would complete the whole cycle. We would write up to delivering our models in, let's say, a model registry or whatever it is that is you know, eventually put out there, right? So which is the end phase, I would say. Then there are different tech teams who pick the model and set up the inferencing pipeline. We work closely with them to help that integration happen. We also look at the other aspects of the ML lifecycle. So we've done round one, right? We're going to have to see how this model is going to be consumed. How might we consume the feed? How might we gather the feedback from the consumers and what is good and what is not good in terms of this use case, right? Uh, Hence that whole monitoring that is put in place. And of course, we also look at how could we do a retraining if the need arises or when the need arises, right? So this is that whole gamut of the ML lifecycle, which is sort of designed and integrated into that ecosystem. And therein lies the DevOps of it that, you know, each of these aspects of the ML lifecycle, the inference pipeline, probably even the training pipeline, and like smaller aspects of how will we measure the model performance, these aspects are probably also released and the DevOps of it all. Yeah, yeah, that's really crucial. And I think when you also think of DevOps, you think of the team setup. I think you were talking about like you having an engineering team and so forth. Can you probably elaborate a bit more about the team setup at TL Labs that really enable these two areas to intersect with each other? Is it like a DevOps, dedicated DevOps team or it's just the engineering team and then there's a DevOps engineering team or stuff like that? So to today, the responsibility of the engineering team that's within labs is goes into releasing the models up to the model registry, partnering with the tech teams who are responsible for the platforms and products into which these solutions get deployed. So we partner with them to help that integration happen. However, the first line of DevOps, the first line of DevOps is always with those teams because the model is just one aspect of the larger platform and the larger product that is out there. So always the level one support, level two support always starts from those teams. And then, of course, where we'll need to pitch in the, how do I say this, the buck comes eventually to us, and then we'll need to definitely investigate and see how best to support that situation. Yeah, that's quite crucial. And I'm sort of thinking, is there like, are there dedicated data scientists ML engineers, and then, okay, I work, okay, all right, yeah. Yeah, we do. So we have, I mentioned that whole feasibility study. So there are teams of applied research scientists who work per use case, and there are teams of machine learning engineers who work with them and eventually take on how will the solution be designed and developed. Right, yeah, definitely, definitely. And we have quite a number of community questions to sort of jump into, but I think I'll just follow up briefly on something you spoke about, which is like making your workflows a lot more agile. And uh, a crucial question there is more like, how do you make the delivery of ML applications agile? Like you build something, you iterate quickly, you throw it to market quickly, you get it back and try to improve on the model. 
How's that agile? How do you ensure an agile workflow for ML applications? I think my personal take would be to put your version one out there as quickly as you can, right? With an ML solution, right, Stephen, it's not about even if you've like tested it thoroughly, if you've regressed it, if you've stress tested it, there are still aspects which are not predictable. And that's the data aspect of it, right? So the data which is going to be put as input into the model is always an unknown. And hence, there's always that which could go be really varying. And you've trained your model, you've developed your ecosystem with a certain kind of data set. What you're eventually seeing as a solution goes live could be something varying always in nature. And hence, if you've got your version one of the model out there as soon as you can, and you've started to gather feedback from your, let's say, your beta consumers, I think you're going to get early feedback that helps you build a stronger solution. And that also adds scores in your whole agility in the whole flow. Right, right. Thanks for sharing that. And usually when people hear the relationship between DevOps and MLOps, it's more like the takes are always on how are these two different so from some of your experience leveraging DevOps practices and technologies to ship ML products, how have you found DevOps to be different from MLOps? Yeah, traditionally, right, uh, have always sort of been responsible for that live environment where solutions are up there, right? So their focus is on the uptime. Their focus is also on if something goes down, how quickly can I recover? The focus for the MLOps team, I think, is slightly different. While we are in full support of the DevOps champions to sort of help them in their KPIs, the investigation that needs to be coming from somebody who's on the MLOps side is what could be going wrong in this case? What changed with the ecosystem to have caused any outage on the model, right? So the attention is a little on different aspects of that solution, I would say. And it's less of the platform, less of the infrastructure, and more got to do with your whole ML lifecycle itself. Yeah, I think that's really important. And I think when we also talk about DevOps, I think it's more of a cultural thing than anything else. People will tell you that it's more of the culture of our technology and so forth. So what DevOps principles have you found that have been quite crucial in shipping ML applications? Let's say quite crucial and important to the whole world of MLOps, right? While DevOps principles, we could look at each of those DevOps principles and they are crucial for an MLOps team. What's I think the MLOps team has additional responsibilities, I would say, right? So it is all of the DevOps principles that you do have to keep your solution. You do have to ensure your deployment time, your time to recover. All of those KPIs are your in your attention. But I think more importantly, you must be aware of other influences on that ecosystem data being one, perhaps parallel systems which are consuming from it or the load to that whole model itself has something changed there. The configurations that we have used in order to deploy the ML solution, perhaps they need attention. So the attentions are, I mean, I would say there are additional principles, there are additional things, responsibilities that an MLOps person has to look at over and above the DevOps principles itself. Awesome. Awesome. Quite crucial that you mentioned that. And I think because, of course, looking at the amount of work you've done as well at TRL Labs, I think there are some challenges that you might have found, especially from the DevOps realm, that you feel like affects the way ML systems or ML products are being deployed. What are those challenges you found that really affect how you deploy ML applications at TRL Labs? Maybe that small teams can learn from. There are, I think, 
quite a few challenges that come to mind. I did tell you, Stephen, that we're not a new company. I mean, we're not greenfield. We're not doing ML from day one. And hence, expectations are very different, right? These are systems which have been around for a really long time. These are systems which have had perhaps some rule-based engines which have served similar need as what the models aspires to do. And hence, the expectation in terms of accuracies and performances from the ML solution itself is to be comparable, right? Even though the scope is much more with an ML solution, but nonetheless, sometimes there are those expectations expectations. There are challenges around also certain parts of the solution. We always need to design how that consuming ecosystem is going to be, what load those workflows are looking to play. And it's not just the model in singular which can influence that design decision. There's always cost which needs to be kept in mind. If there is If you're looking at, let's say, processing certain content, you know, where you're without AI, the cost is X. What is it going to be with AI and how quickly are we going to be able to achieve that saving or this efficiency that we were after, right? So there's that business impact, that business metric as well, which we need to keep in mind. So these are those subtle challenges which come to mind. And oftentimes how we've designed the solution what sort of load we've kept in mind, what KPIs and latencies we've kept in mind is probably not we observe end ecosystem. So to be able to realistically test that sometimes is a challenge. I mentioned data, the changes in data, that's also a challenge, right? There are newer aspects which come up. So if you have like a classification model, there are probably newer classes which come up. So how do you your model is never going to be able to keep pace, right, at that rate. So how are you able to effectively bring that in? Applying DevOps again is, I think, these are some of the challenges that we've seen. Right. Thank you for sharing that. We're going to be jumping right into some other community questions. And before I do that, again, if you're watching us live on LinkedIn, please leave your questions in the chat. If you're watching us on YouTube as well, same thing. And of course, if you're here, if you want to ask your question live, raise your hands. Otherwise, you can send them to the chat as well. So yeah, first come to the question, is MLOps a part of DevOps or just a fork? I would say that DevOps is the real hero, right? So DevOps is the one who's keeping the solution up at all times. MLOps is there to ably support solutions which are live and out there and which have models on them, right? Models embedded in them. So the MLOps team, I would say, is like a level two, level three team, which is going on to support the DevOps team in what it's actually setting out to do, right? That's my take on DevOps versus MLOps. I don't think that... It's right to expect an MLOps team to be responsible for the live ops of that solution. It would take the focus off the ML parts and that might give us other challenges. But as a support role, as a being aware of what's currently deployed live and what that what the investigation is needed, I think that's important as an MLOps team. Yeah. And speaking on that divide again, and I'm just going to have a follow-up question. And this person is asking, or ask, do you often find that there's a clear divide between your DevOps and ML teams? How do you ensure collaboration across both teams? So we've attempted several ways to sort of bridge that gap. It always starts with education, but nothing quite like having to firefight together. So we've done, you know, secondments where we've kind of brought in folks from that team into our team. 
sort of vice versa to be able to give them under the hood picture and likewise have the ML folks, ML engineers there as well to see, you know, what it takes to keep the solution alive. So there's that thing, that attempt that we've done. We've also created workflows that enable smoother collaboration between the teams and a smooth handover of the solution and of points of investigation as well, right? We've created literature, we've created perhaps handover checklists, which help us in this journey to be able to smoothly hand out. There are best practices, there are ways of working, which we've identified and sort of rolled out across projects so that things are consistent. The DevOps teams don't expect to see differences between one ML solution and another. We've integrated and used tools and technologies to support a consistent experience across projects so that for the DevOps teams, it is like just an other service, which they have to support. So when you mean just another service, is it more like the teams, um, the ML team will create the service, the the model prediction service itself, and then hand over? So assume that, you know, your product is has is composed of multiple services you could think of the model inferencing as one more such right the endpoint that it exposes is again like any other api endpoint and so you are you're a team which is responsible to support that and it's this thing so it's metrics that it flags out the logs that it generates is commonly consumable from the devops team i think that's very crucial so that they can kind of tick off your level one support, level two support, and triage issues much easily. Right, that's interesting. That's interesting. All right, another question. What are some of the best security practices you found that have helped you ship secure ML products? This, I would think, Stephen, is no different from any other software project, right, which consumes open source or dependencies, which has open source dependencies. So definitely, I mean, your static code analysis, your aware of your vulnerabilities in your dependencies and you're actively working to pick up fixes which will be able to, once a vulnerability is identified, your system will be able to, your DevOps pipelines as you have them will help you sort of regenerate that model deliverable so that you're picking the patch which has that security vulnerability addressed, right? So it's important that we have DevOps in place so that this is not a laborious manual task that we pick a different version of the dependency and we are able to do it more smoothly in a more automated fashion. So there are, of course, other security vulnerabilities that come to mind with a model, with a pre-trained image, with the data that you play with it. This is a constant area of research. I won't claim that, you know, I I know what we're doing here and we have it all covered. But whatever the industry recommended practices are, I think we are up to the mark. And these security checks, these security tests are very much part of our DevOps pipeline. So I believe the word is DevSecOps. So I think what we have today when we deliver our ML solutions is with the DevSecOps pretty much in the pipeline. Feels like a great moment to interrupt the show and give you a 30-second pitch of Neptune AI. Okay, so we help with model metadata storage and management. That means you can log model metadata from anywhere in your pipeline and view results in the web app. You can organize and display it however you want, search, debug, and compare experiments, datasets, and models, save your production-ready models to a centralized registry, and collaborate on your projects across the org. Oh, and we integrate with pretty much any MLOps stack. Just plug us right in. For more, go to neptune.ai or check our docs. They're pretty good. I wrote them. Hope that was 30 seconds. Back to the show. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. All right. And when it comes to MLOps, there are things like components you have to think about, like model seven, data delays in the pipeline, model not getting deployed properly. 
what kind of metrics does your team use to cater for these challenges? You spoke about monitoring. I think, I believe this person is talking about some of these production monitoring challenges. Can you speak more on that? Yes, I think. So you're talking about, again, metrics, right? You're saying as an MLOps teams, as an MLOps team, what does the team consider the metrics that it has to uphold? What is its goal? And that I want to say that very similar metrics as any other DevOps team, I would say, how quickly are we able to recover from an issue at hand? How quickly are we releasing our patches and fixes? Added to which, there are these other KPIs around how quickly are we able to investigate data and model issues. Right. So there are these KPIs around debuggability, which are of significance to an MLOps team, which probably is a little different from that of a DevOps team. Your standard DevOps team will not so much have to look at changes in your input and its variations or has there been a drift. Right. So they may not need to get into those aspects. However, an MLOps team will definitely have to be aware of it have to be aware of the model's performance, have to be aware of bad data and that sort of input as well. Yeah, and I think it becomes an interesting problem thinking about, okay, this is in production currently. So who is responsible for what? In case something happens, something bad happens, say, for example, the model performance, is it you direct the Slack notification, right? To the ML team, or you know, when something isn't like working, maybe a server is broken in production. How does that so how do you ensure that people are responsible for what in production? Let me put it that way. Yep. I think the responsibilities are pretty consistent in this industry, Stephen. I mean, your level one support is always your DevOps team. It's always the ops team which has been ensuring that your service is live. However, once it's been triaged, I think that it is the service or the black box, which is your model, which is your culprit today. I think the MLOps team then needs to sort of be aware of what's happening. But that is not to say that they need not be involved. As soon as there is an issue in the live environment, it is important that they are keeping abreast of the same. They are aware of the metrics around when the issue happened and to be able to answer questions that come even surrounding the model itself, right? Sometimes it's possible that it's not the model which is giving a challenge, but rather, let's say, cues that lead to it. Or it could be the response time coming out of the model calling, causing a chain reaction of sorts, right? So to be able to be aware of how your surrounding consumers are also impacted is important to an MLOps team. But like I said, your first line of defense is your DevOps team for sure. That's a really important note. Okay, this person asks the well back in the community, how do you monitor ML training jobs and K8s? Are there like traditional DevOps monitoring tools? Is for that like Datadog, for example? Or we do uh, use yeah. Datadog extensively. Okay. And so most of our infrastructure consumption is tracked, not just consumption, but also I would say performance metrics are tracked using Datadog, added to which since we we don't use Kubernetes, we use one of the public clouds and that natively provides us tools where we're also able to monitor an ongoing job, right? Even after it happens and, and to be able to compare between, let's say, run one and run two and run three, we're able to do that very effectively with the native tooling that comes with public cloud environments. It should be no different Prometheus kind of support that you may have with Kubernetes, but it's just that you'll probably have to set it all up before you're able to 
visualize it vis-a-vis in a public cloud environment, you're able to get that sort of an input as soon as you've done your, set up your job. That is one. I'm also reminded that you mentioned Datadog. So with Datadog too, I think there is an opportunity to integrate certain metrics from the public cloud services as well, right? And so even that lets us compare infrastructure utilization vis-a-vis your other metrics coming out of your models. And so that's also an interesting bit to have in your NMLOps person. That's quite interesting. And as a follow-up question, is it does that also happen during the retraining? If, for example, you have a maybe a challenger model you're trying to retrain so that you replace the new model, is it still the same tech you use during training, monitoring during training that use that as well? I think so. So you're talking about like experiment tracking, right? So you have like your model one and you have your second model to be able to see, do you have like a better performing model? I guess that's what you meant by the whole challenger model. So in that case, yes, we are tracking. I think the first thing that a data scientist or a research scientist tracks is, of course, the model's performance itself. But I think that can't be held in isolation. You're also looking at what sort of a configuration did you use? Are you How costly is your solution going to be? Is this something viable for the inferencing pipeline and the KPIs that it, it comes with, right? The requirements around latencies that you may have. So there are these other considerations as well, which enhance it cannot be just the model's performance, which is compared between training and the retraining, like between one experiment and another, like probably that's what is meant by the whole challenger aspect. Yeah, yeah. And this sort of leads to a a bit more personal question. And I see that some, you have like some MLOps tools and some DevOps tools that kind of do the same thing, sort of in some way, but of course, some are like catered more traditional software engineering. And I want to ask, what are the components of MLOps today? like for kitchen point, model registry, experiment tracking, and so forth, that you think are sort of redundant in the MLO space, especially looking at it from the lens of DevOps. I won't use the word redundant at all, uh, Stephen. (laughs) Uh, In fact, I would quite contrary to that. I think the word is gaps. We have gaps today in terms of tools, and we have too many requirements, which today is very laboriously undertaken in the ML teams. I wish we would have the sort of -of state-of-the-art tooling that traditional DevOps teams have to support even some of these activities, right? I won't use the word redundant. I would say gaps. And I think, you know, as industries mature in their adoption of ML, I think we will see proliferation of tools to fill these gaps as well. But as things stand today, it is more on the gap side than be redundant. Redundancy. That's quite interesting. Thank you for that. Okay, so this is another question from the MLOps community. And this person says, I think Kubernetes is important to MLOps. Do you agree? (laughs) Also, what are some other technologies from DevOps that you think are important to study to be successful at MLOps? Yes, Kubernetes is important to MLOps, but it's an enabler. It's a platform which provides those services which will enable you to set up sturdy ML solutions. But so is There are many other such solutions which allow you to deploy your model and keep it up to date, monitor it and watch it for triggers that cause it to change. I think the whole process of interpreting logs, interpreting metrics, right? I don't know if you'd call it a technology. It's an aptitude, right? It's an aptitude to be able to investigate and 
root cause triage an issue. So a similar skill, a similar requirement is what I would say, you know, is needed at an MLOps team as well. So to be able to work backwards from an observation, which comes either as a deviation in a chart or from logs, to be able to identify again, then go into the logs to see at which point of time did that happen and what was the sequence of events in my inference pipeline or if it's on my training pipeline, which part of the model was I looking at, right? And then I supplement that with, let's say, an, a study of the data quality itself or the model performance itself to see if something has changed. So this sort of a logical thinking and aptitude, I would say, is a must-have, right? And this is something that even as somebody from the DevOps world moves into the MLOps space is something that we would definitely value and is a must-have, I would say. Perfect, perfect. So I think this is a question particular to uh, Tierra Labs. And this was an ask, what's your stack at Tierra Labs? Okay, so we are, and I did mention that we are on the public cloud, but we're pretty much a AWS shop with respect to all the AWS tooling that we, I mean, the ML tooling that we use today, right from developing our solutions, training the models, refining, refactoring the code to building, packaging, delivering, deploying, releasing, and looking at deployment. I think the whole gamut of operations is today on AWS, but we've supplemented that with a lot of in-house developed tooling which plays to the needs within the organization, be it around experiment tracking, be it around, let's say, you know, you want the, you remember we said that, you know, let's get the version one of the model out and then let's have subject matter experts or our beta consumers even tell us how it looks. So there are tooling around this, which enable us to do this. There are tooling around enabling safe and secure consumption of the data, right? There are tooling around automating the ML lifecycle aspects of it. So I would say, but then, like I said, there are also gaps and we're hoping that, you know, we'll work our way through it. Yeah. And as a follow-up question to that from this person again, and I think we spoke about a few challenges you face, especially like um, while building these, in each project you work on. So this one is actually asking, what war stories can you tell us from your time at like Tierra Labs uh, deploying ML apps products? I will have to repeat, but I could tell you that you remember that there was this point which I mentioned where the expectation sometimes of an ML solution is that of a standard software. And it should be, except that an ML solution is ML, stands for machine learning. So it's still learning. And so it's not so fixed input, fixed output, right? There's variation. There is that whole, the history of it, which influences the outcome as well. So there are challenges around how do we quickly incorporate newer outputs, which the model has to give out. There are challenges around getting feedback from consumers, right? And to be able to effectively process it and see, you know, how do we say that this was a models challenge vis-a-vis this is new kind of something else, right? Sometimes there are discrepancies between subject matter experts. It's not always, you know, human versus the model. Sometimes it is human versus human even, and what does the model pick? So these are some of the challenges that we see, and that's what makes it all very interesting. Right. How about like production war stories where you've deployed stuff and then there's actually, you have to like, engineer some chaos in production. Do you, have you had situations like that? 
I won't say it's gone live and oh my God, we don't know what to do. <laughs> okay. But then there have been crazy challenges that we've suddenly started to see our model being the model which is trained with, let's say, English content. We start to see non-English content playing through it and we're asked to investigate what's wrong, right? So there's that. Then there's that binary content played into the file. And how did that happen? I don't know. There are challenges around, I mentioned, right? It's human versus the model at times, right? There are folks who are yet to believe that ML can work. There are folks who blindly are thinking that, okay, the model is saying maybe this is right. So there are both kinds of people and it's not a Boolean, right? That challenge as well. But it's never been a challenge where, you know, the model is live and there's this problem and we don't know what's happening, what's going wrong with the model. It's rarely come to that. We've seen scaling issues. We've seen issues around whether we've designed the configurations right in terms of, let's say, sizing the deployment itself. We've seen issues around a very heavy model and it's not giving responses in time, but we've not encountered an issue that it's down and we don't know what's happened. Yeah, that makes sense. Did I disappoint someone? (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully not. Hopefully not. Hopefully not. (laughs) Anyways, let's jump right into the next community question. And this person asks, what metrics are you using to measure the performance of your ML team doing MLOps and DevOps? Are there custom deploy develop metrics? or templates you've adopted? So I must confess, right? So we're not like we've done this since many years. These are metrics and we refine them every year. We tighten our goals. We're not that. I don't know who these teams are, if they exist today with ML solutions and they're at that level. Even today, we define, okay, do you think this makes sense that we measure this? Will we get better at our game if we measure this? So we're still continuously still defining our metrics, I would say, right? We've done rounds of, hey, I was able to deliver this. It's live and it's, look, it's it's all working fine. We've gone from just that to how can I pull in changes faster? Right. So you're basically your, I believe that metric is around your change failure rate. Right. So, I mean, how quickly can I package my change, which is needed and have it out there? I think this is one of the primary things that we want to target as an ML team. Right. Our deployment frequency has never been that much of a thing because there's this whole cycle to retraining it and to understand the changes and then that whole life cycle aspect to it unless it's a bug. So I won't pick that up, but I think the time taken to recover from an outage and definitely the change failure rate, I think how quickly we're able to get our changes out there. I think these are two metrics that we would want to watch over. Right, right. Thanks for sharing that. So once again, if you're in the audience, please note that you can leave your questions, ask your questions live. If you're watching on LinkedIn, you can ask your question on LinkedIn or on YouTube and uh, definitely do our best to get to them. Quite a lot of interesting ones today, I would say. So the next question, and I think this is something you've partly answered, but it would be really great to elaborate. And this person asks, how do you set up your DevOps, ML plus data, and software engineering teams to deliver value efficiently for your ML projects? I know you said that I've answered this, but can I give you my dream state? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) My dream state is everybody in the ecosystem understands I mean, they don't need to get the model, but they need to understand what ML is doing in that ecosystem, right? That this content is coming in, these keywords are scraped, and hence this is leading to this sort of an outcome. If this sort of an understanding is there within across all teams in a very consistent way and an awareness that because of this solution, we are able to do this much faster, 
across tech, all people in this ecosystem, then that really helps. Now, your question was, you know, how we structured. Irrespective of how we are structured, I mean, it's just what's your responsibility, right? At that point of time, what are you held up against? I would still think that, you know, there are folks, irrespective of whether they're in the same team or not, whose attention must be on your L1 support, who must look at that solution uptime, irrespective of whether you're triaging it into an ML solution or the model is at fault or not, right? There are folks who must look at the external influences which is causing the outage. And there must definitely be people who are working to investigate the model issue. So you definitely need all these people doing all these roles. Now, whether they are in your one team or across teams depends upon, I think, the size of your organization, how quickly you want to translate from the issue to something getting packaged and out there, right? There are different multitude of requirements which come into play. So there are different aspects which will kind of influence that structure of the organization. But I want to go back to my dream state, that is let everybody in that ecosystem be aware of why we did this and how it's meant to work. Yeah. And speaking of that dream state, I think one thing that really helps people to work efficiently sort of be more like, if a data scientist knows how to do something, then that probably would be helpful for a software engineer, according to the software engineer, right? In our past, in our last episode, we had like Laszlo, who spoke about like how why data scientists need to be able to like learn how to write production quality code, right? In your opinion, is that something that really would enable cross-team collaboration a lot more? Or because you said your drift sets were like, people should learn how ML models work, right? Or should data scientists know how to code properly? <laughs> No, no. Okay. I want to correct that, Stephen. Oh, okay. I'm not okay. saying that everybody should know how the model is working. Mm-hmm. I'm saying yeah. why we did this, right? That from a given content, let's say somebody was looking at identifying keywords and somebody was looking at pulling out, let's say, sentiment, right? So the whole team was looking at doing this over half a day. And if now we're able to do this with a model in quarter day, then I think we've that's the efficiency. And that's what this model is enabling. It is able to do this by parsing the content, pulling out the keywords, and then associating them with a certain sentiment, let's say, right? So it's this generic high-level idea of the AI bit, which sort of everybody must have so that when something goes wrong, we all know what could be going wrong. Software engineers would be able to design solutions better. Architects would be able to put in place very essential aspects of a whole ML lifecycle, right? So hence this understanding, which is important. I think with all the tooling that we're going to get, right? I would say that need of writing state-of-the-art production level code, the need from a data scientist is going down and down, right? They can continue to do their exploration and there is tooling support which will generate the rest right? Or at least placeholders for the rest and which could definitely be customized by any engineer to sort of make sure it goes smoothly. So I really want that data scientists continue to focus on what they're really good at, continue to build state-of-the-art solutions, continue to amaze us with what ML can do. And for the rest, I think we've got tools, we've got software engineers, we've got architects and all the other roles in the organization to sort of ensure that this goes through fine to production. Right. And uh, not to be all I told gloomy. you this is going to be controversial. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And not to be all sort of gloomy and go back to the non-happy side, but I just wanted to ask, what are those frictions you see in terms of communication? I mean, there was usually this like handoff of course, before, like one of the advents of MLOs was like, hey, data scientists just throw models over the fence, right? 
and then hope DevOps engineers will like figure it out. What are those frictions you think that teams should be aware of, you know, and probably solutions you have? I think documentation around why a certain aspect, why a certain configuration was chosen over the other is always a missing piece. I mean, it happens to the best of us. Then we've got this whole aspect of debuggability, right? So for models which are live, you asked for war stories. This was one. When we come back and have a requirement to retrain, if that training pipeline doesn't work again, there's very little support you're going to get from data scientists at times. This is something that we've seen. This is a point of friction as well. We've also had challenges where we've had to kind of rewrite and redo parts of the solution. Because like I said, right, it's probably not designed for the end ecosystem in mind from cost, from the hardware considerations, from your latency and other considerations. So it's possible that the solution needs to be almost redone when it's kind of discovered and feasibility is proven. So these have been, I think, a few sort of friction areas, but I think we're getting better. We're getting, uh, we're smoothening some of these, like I said, for documentation, I think we have now consistent ways of handing over the work so that we gloss over at least those sort of gaps. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for sharing that. And another question that was asked is, is it common for MLOps teams to not have the same level of assets as DevOps teams at this person's current company? That seems to be the case, is it? It's actually the case of in our company. We, like I said, as the labs team, our responsibilities today end at releasing the model into the model registry. So it is the need to enable that whole integration that we are sort of partnering with those tech teams. But today we do not have enough access in that live environment, in the QA and prod environment. But then we've mostly needed access for, like I said, debuggability, right? So we have access to, let's say, the content that was played at which point of time the failure was seen. We have access to, let's say, logs and metrics. We have access to the model performance and that monitoring set of charts, right? So those are definitely there to the MLOps teams. So far, we've not needed more than that. Yeah, that works. That works. Thanks for sharing that. And the final question here is, this person asked, where does the responsibility of a data scientist on your team stop? Likewise, the ML engineer and the DevOps engineer. See, this is why I said that the dream state was everybody (laughs) everybody knows why we are building the solution. So the responsibility of the data scientist never ends. He's built the model and it's continuing to run and serve a purpose. And if at some point of time that needs recalibration, I think he's back in the game, either directly or indirectly. He is responsible to support that which he built, right? So I won't say the responsibility ends with just reaching a certain level of model accuracy and getting a go-ahead from stakeholders, it continues while the solution is live as well. Right. And into cycles of retraining. (laughs) Uh Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks. And to sort of close the episode on a really amazing, it's been an amazing conversation. So I'd love to know what's your dreams. You've spoken about your dream state. You've spoken about your dream for this. But what's the future of this, especially looking at how much MLOps and DevOps will keep intersecting a lot more to help teams deliver value properly. I think it's that dream state indeed. I mean, I really do aspire that we will have equal 
responsibility for all in this ecosystem to say, okay, we are building this solution because we want to bring in this efficiency. And that's your top level goal that you have, that you're doing this for that. So hence your business metrics are tied to your team goals, to your personal goals, to your metrics and to your KPIs, to your system level requirements, to your DevOps metrics, DevOps principles, the way you've designed the solution, the way you've adhering to those metrics, right? It's important to understand and be part of that vision that, you know, we're doing this because we want to achieve this efficiency. And hence, at any point of time, if you're sort of disengaged from that vision, there are others to bring you back and say, hey, but then this is not going to serve this, right? Different organizations have principles. And I think for ML projects, this is this, right? What is that business goal that you're looking to serve? And hence, from that, the rest is derived. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. This has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much, Shasha, for sharing your insights. I've really enjoyed it. Controversial, but it's been really, really good to hear your thoughts on how DevOps sort of intersects, not just with your experience at Sierra Labs, but also your general perspective as well. So thank you so much for joining us today as well. If you're listening to us on LinkedIn or maybe later on the podcast, thank you so much. If you have any question, of course, you can always reach out to Shisha. Shisha, where can people find you online? Yes, so I'm definitely available, reachable on LinkedIn. I also want to add that TR Labs, we've recently started to document some of our work on Medium as well. So you could catch up with us on Medium, on our blog, on our publication on Medium, as well as you could reach out to me on LinkedIn. Perfect. Thank you so much for this, Stephen. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you so much. So we've come to the end of this particular episode. Again, if you have any more questions, please try to join our Slack community on the MLOps.com community webpage where we get to interact with uh, general practitioners, get to interact as well. You can also ping us there as well. So we'll be back in two weeks' time, and that's on the 22nd. And this time, we're going to be talking to Vishnu on setting up MLOps at a healthcare startup. His lessons learned, war stories, and then some of his stacking solutions. So till then... See you then and take care of yourself. MLOps Live is brought to you by Neptune AI. Remember that you can join us live at the next event and ask your questions. You can register at neptune.ai slash events. And then make sure to search for MLOps Live in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Click follow and don't miss any episodes. Thanks and see you next time.